All right, good morning, everybody. Come in, have your seats. Open your Bibles to Colossians. As we get to study the Word together this morning, let me get my notes back in order here. Somewhere, maybe. One, two, eight, twelve. There it is. I was like, man, I know I've got something here. Don't worry, I've got lots of pages of notes, but I'm not going to get to them. So. I thought I would. I had great uh, plans in the first service and uh, didn't work out. So that's all right. It's one of the problems with uh, doing lots and lots of prep is you got lots to say that you want to say, lots that you've learned. Uh, I love I, the, the best thing about preaching. Uh, I can't say that I'm called to preach every week like Joe is, but the best thing about preaching is how much I learn. Uh, during the week um, studying for that. So it's, it's, it is definitely a privilege. But good, uh, good morning again. Open your books to Colossians. Uh, I preached just a month ago, so we're going to continue on that this morning. Um, Paul's going to give us some very practical um, advice. And to show you that it's very practical, what Paul's talking about this morning, I want to take a, an informal survey to show you that what God is giving us this morning through Paul uh, is right where we live every day of our lives okay so how many of you don't be shy i want you to raise your hands i don't want you to be shy i don't want you to be embarrassed how many of you are or personally know somebody who is having marriage difficulties or is divorced okay how many of you are or know somebody personally know somebody who is estranged from a child or a parent How many of you are or personally know somebody who is unhappy in their work situation? Okay, Those are the things that Paul's going to talk to us about this morning. Actually, let me correct that. We're only going to get to two of those three this morning. We are not going to get to the workplace. That's going to have to wait uh, till next time. But uh, uh, the two of those things we're going to talk about this morning. Pretty much all of us raised our hand in each and every one of those categories. This is something that affects all of our lives, either directly or indirectly by somebody that is close to us. Um, so God's, uh, God's word through Paul to us is very appropriate. And before we get there, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. I'm going to say, Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the privilege that it is to study your word together. I pray that, uh, that you help us understand, that you help us uh, um, know what you have for each one of us, Lord, and, and beyond the knowing, I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit guides us, uh, transforms us, um, and guides us into the uh, doing what we know, that we would not be just hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word, Lord. And, and we know, I know, uh, we know that that uh, will change our lives. And, and we look forward uh, to that change. Uh, Lord, I do want to um, just lift up a special prayer for the Wentz family uh, this morning, the, the young man that was killed on Friday out, out at the base in a, in a flying accident and his family. Uh, Lord, their Thanksgiving looks very much different uh, this year than they thought it was going to. And I just want to lift up his family, his friends. There's so many people uh, here in Del Rio, uh, probably here in this church that knew him and are greatly affected uh, by this. I just uh, I want to, to pray your, your comfort and your peace on them. I don't know what their spiritual 
condition is, Lord, but I pray that this would draw them closer to you uh, and that your peace and your strength uh, would help in, in the grieving process. And, and Lord, I just want to take a, a few moments of silence um, as we pray individually for that family. Lord, I just thank you that you've placed us in this body, uh, that we can encourage one another, that we can admonish one another, that we can help each other grow, uh, that we can help each other uh, live our lives for you. Uh, Lord, and I pray if there are, are, are those here that are outside of that body that do not yet know you and have not been placed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, that they would come to know you uh, this morning, that if there are questions that they have, that there, if there are things that are standing between uh, them and you, that they would ask uh, those questions of somebody uh, that they're close to, or they can come and, and talk to any of the pastors and, and get those questions answered so that they might come to a saving knowledge of you sooner rather than later, because none of us are promised tomorrow, um, Lord. And I just, I just pray uh, that those who, who are hearing uh, my voice that don't know you uh, would come to know you, would, would understand uh, what you did for them on Calvary's cross uh, and who they can be in you. Lord, help us as we study Colossians uh, again to understand and to, uh, Lord, I pray that, that you help each one of us obey your word. Thank you for the time we get to spend this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so Colossians, remember the big picture structure of Colossians. I'm not going to go into it too deeply since I just preached a month ago and most of you were here and remember that. Um, but Colossians is, is great and big on the, the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a great book for you to go back and read if you're feeling, uh, you know, maybe uh, spiritually separated from God, spiritually dry. I don't know how you describe it, uh, that, that you're not there. Go back and read Colossians because it, it goes back, Paul goes back and forth between, hey, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. And this is what he's done for you. This is who he's made you in him. He's done this. And because of that, this is what you ought to do. And then he goes, oh yeah, and this is what God did for you, and this is who God is, this is who Jesus is, and who he made you in him, so this is what you ought to do. Oh, and by the way, this is who God is, and this is what he did for you, and this is how you ought to respond. So Colossians goes back and forth to those, and it's just a great book to read to remind ourselves of who God is, what Jesus Christ did for us, who he has made us in him and to remind us what we ought to do. This morning we're in one of those what we ought to do passages. Okay, And if you were here a month ago, you remember we were talking about relationships. The title of that message was Relationships 101 because we laid the base for relationships. This morning is Relationships 201 because we're going we're gonna to add on to that base. Okay, And remember last time Paul is, is using this imagery of being died and died with Christ, raised again to our new life that we should take off the old and put on the new, right? And what was the old stuff? The old fleshly, carnal stuff that we were in was in Colossians 3, 5 through 9. And it's things like immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, idolatry, um, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, lying. Okay, those are the old things that we're just take off. We're not to live in those. That's where we all used to live before we came to Christ. That's where oftentimes we want to live again. We want to, to get back into that because we're not yielding to the Holy Spirit. But Paul says, don't go there. Don't live there. Your relationships will thrive. The body of Christ works well when we're in the new self. 
Our relationships are good when we're in the new self. And, and the new self is, is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And this is the base again. We've got to remember this as we go into today's passage. Because we're supposed to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another, forgive one another, living in love. We're supposed to be doing, that's where we live, in the new self for our relationships. And, and we talked about last time that God gave us a, a few things to help us with that. He gave us the, pri, the peace of Christ, which is supposed to rule in our hearts, make the decisions for us if we have the peace of Christ in our hearts. He gave us the word of Christ, the word of Christ. It's supposed to dwell richly within us. It's not supposed to visit us on Sundays only. It's supposed to visit us. It's supposed to live with us all the time. The Word of God is not to be a visitor in our lives. It is to live with us. We should be spending time in the Word consistently, preferably daily. And that helps us. And then he's given us the name of Christ. We're called Christians, which was a derogatory term when it started. It's not a derogatory term anymore for us it's a it's it's honor we get to bear the name of christ we ought to live in a manner that brings honor to that name not a manner that that degrades or defiles that name if there's anything in our lives that we would not attach to the name of christ we need to be getting rid of it all right so he gives us that we talked about forgiveness last time and how forgiveness is is a relationship restoring it's always relationship restoring when we're talking about biblical forgiveness Okay, God's love is unconditional, right? God loves us unconditionally. His forgiveness is conditional, and we talked about that last time. It's conditioned on our belief. We're saved by grace through faith. His, condition, his forgiveness is conditional on that faith. It's a two-way thing. God died for us. Jesus died for us on the cross. Then we come to Him in faith and ask for forgiveness, and He's faithful to grant us forgiveness, right? And then that relationship between us and God is restored. Early in Colossians, we saw that, how he took us from, one of the things he did for us is he took us from the domain of darkness and he put us into the kingdom of his son and made us heirs. Through that forgiveness, the relationship is restored. And we saw that, that biblical forgiveness, the relationship is always restored. This morning, we're going to go into some supplemental uh, instructions that Paul gives us for specific situations for our family okay we're going to look at uh, wives and husbands we're going to look at children and fathers and then next time we'll look at slaves masters i.e for us employees employers okay again these are supplemental instructions paul told us in colossians 3 12 through 17 this is how you are to live and oh by the way when you're living in this stuff here's some things for the relationships that are closest in most of our lives all right so that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to read Colossians 3.12 through 4.1. Uh, again, starting in 12 to get the context, but we'll start studying this morning uh, in 18. Colossians 3.12 through 4.1. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness 
in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of, his, of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So the three primary relationships uh, that God has established, that he's established that Paul's talking to, is husbands, wives, parents, uh, children, and slaves, masters, employees, employers. And these are, again, supplemental instructions. I want to make some preliminary observations about all three of these first, and then we'll dive in uh, to the first two of these relationships in some depth. Again, we've got to remember Colossians 3, 12 through 17. That's the basis. The basis is that we are living, that we have put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, that we're forbearing with each other, that we're bearing with one another, that we're forgiving each other, that we're living in love, that the peace of Christ is in our hearts, that the Word of God dwells with us, and that the name of God gives us a reason for our actions. We're living there, and these are supplemental instructions. Not to take the place of what he said before, so we don't forget all that, husbands, wives, and then just do what he tells. These are supplemental instructions. The second thing I want to point out is that these are functional. These instructions establish functional roles in the family. These are not distinctions of worth. These are distinctions of function. Okay, We're establishing functional roles in the family. I would tell you that these are follower leader roles within the family. Okay? God is establishing leaders and He's establishing followers. Why is He doing that? Because God is a God of order. Just look around. God is the God of order. And we naturally know that there's got to be leaders and there's got to be followers. If you are in any organization, whether it's at work, no matter what organization it is, if everybody's trying to be the leader, it doesn't work so well. It also doesn't work so well if everybody wants to be the follower. Okay? It generally brings out chaos. You've got to have leaders and followers, and that's what God is establishing here. It's not worth. We all have the same worth in Christ. Colossians 3.11. Paul told us that there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. We all have equal worth in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26 is the parallel passage to that. And he tells us that for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, 
for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Our worth is not in question here. It's our functional roles that Paul is setting up. Okay? So don't let anybody in our culture say, well, wives, you can't be submissive to your husbands because that means that they're better than you. That's not what it means. They're not better than you. We're all the same in Christ Jesus. We have equal worth. But these are functional roles that God establishes according to His design. We need followers. We need leaders. An example, I think a great example, since I know we have a lot of Air Force folks in here, and I think it's unique in anywhere in the military, is the pilot world. Not just the Air Force pilot world. It's also true in the Navy pilot world, in the, in the Marine Corps pilot world, um, in the Army pilot world. It's, it's all the same. But it's interesting that we really see this leader-follower role and not that it's a functional role, not a worth role, in, in the flying community. Okay? Uh, personally, I was a single-seat guy, so I'm always flying in a two- or a four-ship. Right? So we got four pilots, in, each in their own airplane, and you've got to have a leader. Number one is the leader, and everybody else is the follower. And it's amazing because number one could be a first lieutenant, and number four could be a general officer. The military would tell you that that general officer is worth a lot more than the first lieutenant as far as what they put in. But guess who's in charge in that four ship? It's lieutenant. It's number one. He is given the functional role of leader. Okay, it's a functional role. That's what God's doing here. I haven't ever flown a crew aircraft, but I expect it's the same thing. The aircraft commander is the one who's in charge. He's given the functional role as leader of that, that aircraft. He may have a co-pilot. He may have a navigator. Back when they had navigators, I'm dating myself. <laughs> that outranked him. But the aircraft commander is given the functional role of leader. And there's going to be chaos if everybody doesn't follow those functional roles. Same thing in our families. God has designed and given us functional roles, and there is chaos in our families if we don't follow those functional roles. But in our carnality, in our flesh, because we live in a fallen world, we want to buck up against those and fight those functional roles. Usually, followers want to lead, and leaders want to lord. All right? Followers want to lead, and leaders want to lord. How many of you in your work situations or in your family, well, we won't talk about families right now, but out there have been complaining about what the leader has decided to do? Man, that is the stupidest decision I've ever heard. Doesn't matter, he's the leader. You've got to follow him. Okay, now there are ways to bring that up to him. But once the decision is made, that's the leader I lead. I've got to be a good follower. I can't, I can't, I'm going to cause chaos if me, I as the follower, tries to usurp leadership. Okay? I've got to lead, or uh, followers want to lead, and leaders want to lord. How many leaders let it go to their head and start thinking that instead of a functional role, this is actually a worth role? Leaders want to lord it over them. And Jesus talked a lot about you are not to lord it over like the Gentiles do, right? We as leaders, this is a functional role. We don't start thinking that we're better than anybody else. We're just doing our functional role. Okay, so again, these are functional roles, not roles 
of worth. You may not like it, but it's God's design. Okay, they're very straight, as we get into it, very straightforward, simple commands. Not long, not complicated. And it's God's design for our families. Okay, it's God's design for our families. You may not like it, but it's the way God designed it, so you need to follow it. It's the Word of God. We as Christians need to obey the Word of God. Because that obedience shows our love for Jesus, right? He told us, if you love me, you will follow my commands. If you love me, you'll follow my commands. We can go against the Creator's design. But it's not smart, folks. And you wouldn't do it elsewhere in your life. And as an example, your cars were designed to run a certain way. Now you can pull into the gas station and decide to put oil in your gas tank and gas in your crankcase. You can do that. How well is it going to work? Jeremy's going to get even busier than he is right now <laughs> if you people go against the Creator's design. Because you're all going to have to take your cars into the shop because you're probably not going to get out of the parking lot. You can do it, but we're not foolish enough to go against that designer. Whoever designed that car said, this is the way you've got to do it. And we're not foolish enough to go against that. And if we are, we find out very quickly that it doesn't work. Yet God will tell us, this is how I designed your families to work. And we'll go, I don't like that. I'm not going to go towards that design. And we have all seen the results of that. We have all seen the results of that, either in our own lives or somebody's life that we love. The chaos that that causes in relationships, be it a marriage relationship, be it kids fighting against their parents, be it folks fighting against their employers. We've all seen the chaos that that causes. These are functional roles. This is God's design for the family. We ought to follow it. These commands, when, God, when, when Paul wrote them, were revolutionary. Okay? They're revolutionary in our day, but for exactly the opposite reason. Back then, the submissive side of it was just assumed. But the fact that the leader had any responsibility towards those that they led, as opposed to just lording it over them, was absolutely revolutionary. And we have seen 2,000 years later from folks following what Paul has said here, that culture has changed significantly. Back then, wives were nothing but property. Children were also property. Slaves were property. The man of the house could do anything they wanted with their wife, children, or slaves. And nobody would blink an eye. Had no responsibilities. It was revolutionary back then. Today, we think it's revolutionary because it says, wives, submit to your husband. You go, no, we can't do that. We'll talk about why. Notice that in each case, Paul starts with instructions to the follower side of the relationship and then goes to the leader side of the relationship. I think that, you know, I, can't I don't want to read too much in it because we don't know exactly why Paul did that. But when I look at that, I think he had, there's a couple of reasons, or at least there's a couple things I get out of that. Is one, it shows that the followers responsibilities were not dependent on the leader's actions. And we're going to talk more about this. The follower has the responsibility to follow no matter what the leader's doing. Okay? It's not, it doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands if your husband is doing the right thing, if your husband is loving you. And we're going to look at some parallel passages here in a little bit. It doesn't say, children, obey your parents 
if they're telling you to do what you want to do. It says obey them in all things. The followers have responsibilities and it's not dependent on the leader's actions. Secondly, it shows the leader side of the relationship that the followers' actions ought not to be forced. In other words, as the leader, you're not to become Lord. Okay, we have a joke in our family, uh, and it comes from the Bible, from the Old Testament, that uh, every once in a while when Jenna wants to talk to me, I, I, I ask her to say, O King, live forever, before she talks to me. It is a joke, okay, and it is between the two of us that every once in a while, she, you know, because that's, you know, the way they had to talk to the Babylonian kings, right, and Daniel and stuff, O King, live forever. Uh, so that is not an application. It's a joke, okay, so... Man, our pastor said that any time my wife talks to me, she has to start with, O King, live forever. No. Paul's instructions in the order of them show the leaders that the followers, that's their responsibility, and it's not to be forced. And the grammar shows that too, as we'll look through. So these are not conditional. Okay, we discussed last time with relationships. Relationships work best when each of us is trying to do our own responsibilities in the relationship whether that's friendship we talked about being the friend that you would like to have being the spouse that you would like to have we do our responsibility and let god work on the other person relationships don't work real well and i've done marriage counseling where you know, it's almost it's almost inve inevitable when you get the, the first thing of marriage counseling and you're trying to figure out what's going on and the man looks at and says well if she would just do this everything would be okay. And the woman looks at the man and says, if he would just do this, everything would be okay. And you have to start with no. You stop trying to change him. You stop trying to change her. You be who you're supposed to be and let God work on them. And that's what these relationships are too. These leader-follower relationships are not conditioned on the other, the, the person, the other person doing what they're supposed to do. They are commands to each of us and we are to do that and I know the culture tells us differently the culture tells the kids right now you don't have to listen to your parents be your own person do your own thing culture will tell wives you don't have to submit to your husband you should lead the family you should do this and that but people we've already gone through it Paul has already covered that in Colossians specifically 2 4 and 2 8 when he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive arguments. Don't follow the arguments that sound persuasive of the world. Follow God. 2.8, see, see to it that no one takes you captive through empty philosophy and deception. We're to follow God, not to follow the culture. Finally, this is a Christian context. Okay, He's speaking to believers. So I think in Paul is assuming in these specific commands that wives, your husbands aren't asking you to do anything illegal, immoral, unethical against God's Word. Kids, parents aren't asking you to do anything against God's Word. Okay, And that's a whole other sermon on what you do when somebody's asking you to do something against God's Word. We're not going to get in there today. Alright, so let's look at the first two of these. Wives, husbands, children, fathers. Men, don't tune out, but I'm going to talk to your wives for a little bit. Ladies that aren't married, I'm going to be talking to you for a little bit because you may get married someday. 
Paul says in verse 18, and God is saying this through Paul, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Some of your translations may just say, Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So what is the reason for the being subject to or submitting? What does that verse tell us? What's the reason for doing it? Because it's right in the Lord. The reason is because that's the way God designed the relationship to work. It is right in the Lord. And there's no, I mean, it's, it's a simple word, submit, and I don't care how much liberal theology you're listening to, you can't get around the fact that the word means to submit, to follow that person. As Chris would say, no amount of hermeneutical gymnastic Jesus, man, it's even hard to say, no amount of hermeneutical gymnastic Jesus is going to get around the fact that this says, women, follow your husband, submit to him. Sorry, let me say that again. Wives, submit to your husband. Who do you submit to? It is, all, is it all women to all men? Women submit to men? That's not what it says. Wives, submit to your husband. Be subject to your husband. It's a functional role within the family so the family can work well. The grammar here, that verb, submit, be subject to, it's present tense. So it's ongoing. Doesn't mean I'll listen to him today. I'm going to stop listening to him tomorrow. Okay, if you didn't listen to him yesterday, ask forgiveness and start listening to him today. Okay? Can't do anything about the past, but we can ask forgiveness and move on. It is present tense, continuing action. It is middle voice, which means you're acting on yourself. Your husband's not making you submit. Nobody else is making you submit. God's not making you submit. You're submitting yourself. You're doing it yourself. God is commanding it, but you're doing it yourself. The word is used of Jesus living in subjection to his parents. It's used of demons listening to Jesus and the apostles and obeying what they say. And it's used in James and 1 Peter of us submitting to God. So there's no way around the word meaning exactly what it says. Be subject to submit. Wives, your perfect example is in Christ. Philippians 2, and we're not talking about, uh, so just go one, one book earlier in your Bible. Philippians 2, Christ gave us the example of what this submission is like. 2.5 have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Jesus is God, the Father. He's equal with God, the Father. But he didn't count that equality as something to be grasped. Picking it up in 7. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ showed us what this submission looks like. This submission is, in, is the same as it's inside the Trinity, folks. It's not a bad thing. We've got to stop thinking of headship and submission the way the culture tells us to think about it, like it's a bad thing. It's the same functional roles that are inside the triune God. 
Colossians, or sorry, not Colossians, 1 Corinthians 11.3 tells us that Christ is the head of man, man is the head of wife, and God is the head of Christ. It's the way He designed it. It's functional roles. It's His design. And it's not just, like I said, if your husband does the right thing. Turn to 1 Peter. This is one of the parallel passages. 1 Peter chapter 3. So towards the back of your Bible, if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far, but you're close. Start going towards the front. Past the Johns until you get Peter. 1 Peter 3. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment, well, we don't, well the rest of it is, isn't pertaining to that, but it tells you right there, submit to your husbands even if he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And again, Christ is the example. How does that verse start? In the same way. Hopefully when you see something like that in your study and you go, well, in the same way as what? Well, you have to go back a little bit. Let's go back to 2.18. We're not going to talk about masters and servants this morning, but the passage is, is, is important because Paul just said, in the same way, wives submit to your husbands. So let's read what it says. Let's find out what that same way is. It says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, and not only those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, if you, for if you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth, and while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously." And he, him, he, him, ah, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd the guardian, and the guardian of your souls in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Paul tells us that our example, your example is Christ. Although he was reviled, he bore it and died for us. Aren't we glad, I know I'm glad, that God didn't sit back and go, you know, as soon as those humans, as soon as those men and women straighten up, then I'll go die for them. We'd still be waiting. Right? He didn't wait for us to straighten up and do the right thing. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? He's our example. It's not contingent upon what your husband is doing. Wives, submit to your husbands. Be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Why is that so hard for us? 
Why do we see it get wrong over and over again? In the culture, I would expect it to go wrong. But I hate to tell you this, the studies show that divorce within the church is at the same rate as divorce outside the church. Man, that ought not be. That's because we're not following Paul's instructions. We're not following God's commands to us through Paul. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you on one side, it's natural. Okay, let's go back to Genesis. Oh my word. Those clocks, Joe, you have got to stop making the clock go faster. Whew. Real quickly in Genesis. It's broken. Genesis 3. What happened in Genesis 3? World-altering event. The fall. Right? The fall. Genesis 3 is after the fall, part of the curse. 3.16 says, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Sorry, men. I hate to let you know this, but that desire is not the kind of desire your wife wants to have for you, or you want your wife to have for you. It's not a good desire. Okay? It's not sexual desire. It's a desire to be in charge. Part of the curse is this battle between husbands and wives. Okay? How do we know that? Well, 4.7, if you look at that real quick, it's talking about Cain. It says, if you do well, will, your, uh, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. In other words, sin wants to control you, but you must master it. Same construction back in 3.16. Your wife's desire, your, your desire will be for your husband, i.e., I will want to be in charge, yet he will rule over you. Because that's the way God designed it. For him to be the leader. We can't live in Genesis 3. We want to live in Genesis 2, before the fall. And how can we do that? We can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Naturally, there wants to be this battle. When we submit to the Holy Spirit, we can live what Colossians is telling us to do. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And again, remember the basis that's underneath all that, Colossians 3.12-17. through 17. Husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Go back to Ephesians 5 real quick. Parallel passage to get, sorry, uh, to get the, um, yeah, Ephesians 5 to get the, the context and to get a little more instruction for us. Ephesians 5.25, familiar passage to most of us. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. 28, so husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Yes, husbands, God made you the leader in your house. He did not make you the Lord. He is the Lord. You are the leader. So I'm going to tell you, lead. And again, Christ was our example. We have four Gospels that show us the life of Christ. Where in there did He lord it over His disciples? He didn't. He served them. He washed their feet. He taught them. 
He admonished them when needed. He cared for them. And he told them over and over again, if you want to be a leader, you, if you want to be first, you need to be last. You need to be a servant. Men, our leadership has got to be servant leadership. God made us Lord, uh, God made us, God made us leader of our house, not Lord. He is the Lord. Whew. I about got stoned. And in the first century, like we said before, in the first century, this was astonishing. Because men, husbands didn't have, they, they could treat their wives any way they wanted. Their wives were just property. They didn't have to love their lives. They didn't have to worry about them at all. Men, we're called to lead. We need to lead as Christ led. I don't have time to go to 1 Peter again, but if you go to 1 Peter 3, 7 and you look at this, we get the same instruction, men, that the women did. In this way, likewise, love your wives. In other words, just as Christ sacrificed for us, we've got to love our wives. It doesn't matter if she's doing the right thing or not. We are called to be the leaders and to love our wives. Lead through the difficult times. Lead through the good times. And that leadership is a servant leadership. I've been married for 30 years. Longer than some of you, not nearly as long as others. And I understand, men, where we are when times get difficult sometimes. That's to me when it's the hardest to lead. When times are easy, it's pretty easy to lead. But man, when things get tough, when we get in a little spat, when we get in a disagreement, it's tough. Because I don't know about you, I want to go in the, in the other room, we get, we get in a little spat, and I want to go in the other room and go, fine. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to make her apologize first. I'm not going to do anything until she apologizes to me. No. That's not where I'd be. And then the Holy Spirit knocks me on the head and says, get in there and lead. Why do I always have to apologize first? Because God made me the leader. Why do you have to make sure that the sun doesn't go down on your anger in your marriage? Because God made you the leader. Why do I have to be the one that serves? Because God made you the leader, men. Lead. Lead. God made you the leader, so lead. And how do we lead? By loving our wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Sacrificial, loving leadership. Not lordship, guys. Sacrificial, loving leadership. Says a wife, uh, one writer said, a wife really has little difficulty submitting to a husband who loves her. She knows he, seeks the very, she knows he seeks the very best for her and that he will not do anything to harm her. The husband's love for his wife is seen in his sacrifice for her and the wife's love for her husband is seen in her submission to him. Where there are sacrifice and submission in an atmosphere of love, you will find a happy home. It just works because it's in accordance with God's design. Stop fighting his design, embrace it, and you will be amazed what your marriages can be like. I will be amazed at what my marriage can be like if I will stop fighting the design and just submit to it. Quickly, how did I get further behind in this service than I was in the first service? I have no idea. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. I don't have many children in here. I have a few. It does not say, children, Thomas family, Evenson family, 
that you obey your parents when they tell you to do what you want to do. It says, obey your parents in all things. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing the Lord. Obedience pleases the Lord. Obedience is for your good. Obedience shows love. And we already talked about that. Look at John 14, John 15 for those. In our Christian lives, obedience, all of us, obedience brings freedom. Kids, obedience brings freedom. Obedience brings freedom. Disobedience brings bondage. It's a biblical concept. You really see it in Deuteronomy 28 when he's talking about the law, but you see it in the New Testament, sowing and reaping principle as well. One writer said, the child who does not learn to obey his parents is not likely to grow up obeying any authority. He will defy his teachers, the police, his employers, and anyone else who tries to exercise authority over him. The breakdown in authority in our society reflects the breakdown of the authority in the home. Kids, you don't have many responsibilities. Your primary one is to obey your parents. I give you a challenge. Obey your parents as perfectly as you can for six months and see if you don't start getting the things you want. Instead of trying to take the things you want out of defiance. It doesn't work. And it's not going to work. I want to make an application really quickly to all of us. Okay, this is, to be clear, this is not what Paul meant here. But we are all children of who? Of God. We have a heavenly Father. As children of God, obey Him. Challenge to all of us. Let's obey God as perfectly as we can for six months and see how our lives change. Little secret. In order to obey Him, you need to know what He says, so you've got to be in His Word. If we would do that, if we would obey our Heavenly Father, we would unlock a freedom unlike anything we can imagine instead of fighting him at every turn. Again, that's not the application Paul was making, but I just wanted to challenge us to do that too. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Why addressed only to fathers? Because they're the leaders. And if they are doing it and the wives are submitting to them, the wives are going to be doing it too. So both parents are going to be doing this, not exasperating your children, but Paul directly talks to the leaders. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. That exasperate word is tough. It's only used one other time in the New Testament and it's translated as stirred up. So what I will tell you is each one of you knows your kid better than anybody else and in prayerful consideration, you will know if you really ask God to show you when you are exasperating your kids or not. The clue is if they start losing heart, as this says, so that they will not lose heart. If they start being really discouraged... You need to take a close look at what you're doing. Okay? Do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. A couple of examples of what exasperation might be. Um, being inconsistent. Okay? If I'm inconsistent, if I want this today and I want something completely different tomorrow, the kid doesn't know what's going on and they can get exasperated. They can lose heart. If I'm a perfectionist, my kids can get exasperated and lose heart. I ask my child to do something, and the child does it, but doesn't do it like I wanted them to do it, and I get upset. That can be exasperating to the child. Because what did they do? Their job is to obey. They obeyed. Did they do it right? No. Guess what? They're kids. 
That is the teaching opportunity for us as parents. Thank you for doing that. Let's show you how to do it the right way. We as parents need to be encouraging. Fathers, you need to set an encouraging tone in your home. We cannot be afraid to correct our kids, but we need to be encouraging. Teaching them, not expecting them to know everything. Their job is to obey. Our job is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. See Ephesians 6 for that. Ask the Holy Spirit's guidance for each of your children. And again, remember Colossians 3.12-17. through 17. The new self, that's where we ought to be living. You have to wait till next time I preach to get into employers, employees. I'm sorry, I am out of time and I'm the only thing standing between you guys and Chile. But man, let's, God has given us some simple commands, folks. Let's obey Him. Let's follow the design for our families so that our families can thrive. And as our families thrive, our church thrives. And as our church thrives, society starts to thrive. God didn't come down and tell societies that they were doing it wrong, wrong, wrong. You've got to change, you've got to change. And he didn't legislate all that stuff. A lot of people wish that he would have. But God came down and paid the penalty of our sin and changed our hearts. And because all the individual Christians have changed hearts, societies have changed throughout the ages. So let's not worry so much about changing society directly as much as we worry about changing our own hearts. And as we do that collectively, guarantee you society will change. Especially as we do what we're called to do and make disciples. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this word. I thank you for uh, each one of these people, I thank you for placing us in the body of Christ, um, Lord, and I, and I pray that we would be able to encourage one another, love one another, live with one another in a way uh, that reflects your design and in a way uh, that draws other people uh, towards you, towards the truth. Uh, Lord, help us to live this uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit uh, at all times. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.